Football is back. And what a way to bring the NFL back after that crazy Thursday night football game between the Broncos and the Panthers. Kickers. Comes down to kickers sometimes. And it's, it's funny. I mean, the Broncos are the team that kind of invented the whole icing the kicker thing. And, of course, Gary Kubiak, uh, he, he did what he needed to do, uh, called the timeout. Gano actually made that field goal. A lot of times kickers know it's coming, so they like to do that warm-up kick. Uh, it's good for them. It, it kind of gets them, uh, gives them a good feel. But, gosh, uh, that high snap on the on the real play right there. And then the miss, uh, wide left. Uh, just a heartbreaker. Never want to see that. But, listen, uh, I know we went into this season thinking that the Denver Broncos were not going to be the same defense after – couple key losses on that defense, uh, I don't know. They just held Cam Newton to 20 points, really just shutting down the Panthers in the second half. And looking at this Denver defense, I know the offense has a lot of room for improvement. But look, that's, what, that's what's going to happen for a guy who's really inexperienced and a guy like Simeon. And the Broncos really proved a lot. It's, and I know people are going to say it's just one game, but this is... The Super Bowl rematch right there. I mean, this is the team who you shut down in the Super Bowl and lost a couple of key players, and you still found a way to limit that Panthers offense to start off the NFL season. Great start to the season. Of course, Chiefs fans would love to see a different outcome, but look, I've always been the kind of football fan. I just want to see good games. Of course, I'd love to see my team on the winning end of these games or have uh, other teams in the AFC West fall, but... Uh, I'm all for good football. I'll take that any day of the week. I'm Farzine Vesugian. Thank you for downloading and listening to the Chiefs Zone Podcast as we get the season underway. The NFL season officially kicked off, but the Chiefs get underway on Sunday. Hope you all had a great Red Friday. Uh, I was able to get my hand on uh, a pair of those uh, Chiefs flags. Uh, A funny story, I actually left my house Early Friday morning, I, around 8 o'clock, I said, okay, look, uh, I mean, surely they, they it's possible they're sold out. Because the Chiefs really promoted McDonald's having these uh, these uh, Chiefs Kingdom flags. And <laughs> I, I, I pull up to McDonald's. I mean, I, I pass through uh, multiple McDonald's on my way to work in the mornings. And I never see a long line at a McDonald's. I, it just never happened. When I was 16, I worked at a McDonald's. We were never busy in the mornings. Uh, that, that just was never the case with McDonald's. And I pull up to McDonald's, and I see the long line. And I'm thinking to myself, there's just no way in hell they have these. So I decided to call the store real quickly. Now, of course, on your phone, you can you can call them up. And the guy says, we don't have any left. So there's a high V right by the McDonald's, uh, very close to where I live. And I thought, wait a minute. Hy-Vee, I mean, they have a lot of sponsorships with the Chiefs and the Royals. Surely they might have something. And I called them up just to check, and they said they have a bunch. So, of course, the next thing I do, I, I go to the Hy-Vee right there, and I see the long line at, at McDonald's, so I have to laugh a little bit. And uh, there is absolutely nobody at Hy-Vee. Nobody. So uh, I just went to customer service. That's where they have them. So I'll... I was pretty lucky there. I got, got a couple of those uh, Chiefs Kingdom flags. Look pretty good. Hopefully you guys were able to get a hand on those if you guys were searching for those. Again, McDonald's and Hy-Vee, you never know. Uh, like I said, Hy-Vee, uh, not a lot of people there, so they may even have them uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, give them a call. You never know sometimes. Not a sponsor of the show, but uh, figured I'd uh, let you guys know for those 
interested. If you guys want to interact with me, be part of the show, you can do so by liking my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Interact with me on there. Had fun talking to you guys during the game on Twitter, at Farzine21. And uh, something I uh, tried out for the last show, got, got a couple of participation on this, which I like, so let's go ahead and keep doing this. Uh, Snapchat, add me on Snapchat, Farzine V, F-A-R-Z-I-N, and the letter V, and you guys can send me a snap. Let me know you're listening to the to the show, the podcast, uh, or even send a video. Or even if you want to send me a, a, a snap of you watching the Chiefs game this week, I will personally respond to you guys uh, on Snapchat with a video uh, thanking you guys for listening to the podcast or uh, anything. If you guys are watching the game, uh, we can also interact on there. Okay, obviously we've got a lot to talk about in this jam-packed edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Uh, as always, be sure you subscribe on iTunes and uh, let a friend know about it as well. Uh, we're obviously going to break down the Chiefs season. I'll, I'll let you guys know uh, how many wins I think the Chiefs are going to have this season. For those who have listened to the past couple of podcasts here, I've talked about my expectations not being as high as everyone else's. I think a lot of people are setting high expectations and... I'll let you guys know why my expectations are a bit lower than most people's expectations about this football team. We're also, of course, going to break down the Chiefs and Chargers, what the Chiefs need to do to win the football game, plus my prediction for that game this Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. And by the way, the, uh, I, I know the NFL has announced this uh, some special tributes set up for all the teams that will host a game on Sunday uh, which is, of course, going to happen on September the 11th, which is going to be the 15-year anniversary for 9-11. Uh, you know these stadiums are go- going to do a great job and have something. I- I've been fortunate. I won't be at Arrowhead this Sunday, but I've been fortunate to attend the uh, three-year anniversary that happened uh, at Arrowhead Stadium in 2004 and then the 10-year anniversary against the Buffalo Bills in 2011. And... Um, you know, it's a touching moment. It really is uh, because of what happened. And, uh, of course, usually around this time, uh, we're reminded of what happened on 9-11. And uh, I think during that time, I remember you know being a kid in fifth grade. So uh, I don't have a strong recollection like most people may. But, uh, of course, I was in school like, uh, like a lot of people uh, my age when they heard about this. And I think during this time, especially when we see these tributes, we just kind of sit back and think about, you know, what's, what's, what's so important in life. And, uh, you know, the NFL is going to have something special. I remember the chiefs, uh, against the bills in 2011 uh, on September the 11th, they had a, uh, an American flag that, uh, uh, covered the entire football field. And, uh, it, the part that touched me the most is where all the players from both teams, the chiefs and the bills got together to uh, help hold the flag uh, during the national anthem. So that was really nice. And I'm sure that – I know the Chiefs, uh, a few other times, they have uh, they have uh, had uh, 100-yard-sized fo- uh, American flags, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I love seeing that. I saw that last year for the home opener against the Denver Broncos on Thursday Night Football. Uh, yeah, I'm Surely they'll do it again this weekend. But, you know, they're going to have something special set up. So uh, if you're going to be at the game – this we can definitely go because uh, I always love the pregame festivities. I know some people don't care about it. Uh, I always do. I love seeing the player entrances and such. So hopefully they'll have something. They, they'll have something great. But uh, hopefully you guys can make it to your seats in time to catch all of that. And, of course, we'll t- touch on the Chiefs and the Chargers game. And uh, we'll go around the NFL, uh, go out of bounds, and also I'll throw my penalty flags for this podcast. But something I want to start off with, and this is continuing to get more and more attention because – on Thursday Night Football, we saw this 
with another player in Brandon Marshall. And of course, it's the whole Colin Kaepernick thing with him now having the number one selling jersey in the he was 20th on the team. And of course, you know, he, he had that surgery in the offseason. No one even knew if he was going to be on the team. And now here he is with the number one selling jersey in the NFL. A lot of people, you guys already know my take on this, so I'm not going to repeat what I said from the last podcast. I disagree with it, but I can understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to make a stand for something. But I feel like the outrage is too much. And again, don't get me wrong, I still disagree with what he's doing. I mean, I've seen my on my Facebook and Twitter pages, I know people who have loved ones who are serving right now or have served and they find it completely disrespectful and I can understand their stance and quite honestly I agree with those people and I can understand if those people are outraged because look you have a loved one who is defending that flag for you sacrificing everything so they can be overseas while we're over here enjoying our freedom living comfortably if we're going to be outraged by something I mean, how about this? And this was an article written uh, in November 4, 2015 by SB Nation. Headline reads, the military paid pro sports teams $10.4 million for patriotic displays and troop tributes. So, you know, I mentioned the flags that, that we've seen at Arrowhead Stadium. And, of course, you have military members who are holding them. And I, I don't know, maybe I was just really so oblivious, I didn't realize the NFL just was this evil, I guess. But it's outrageous that you have to pay the, 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 the military, the Department of Defense, and just how much money they're paying just so we can thank our military. I mean, do they do they do they have to pay? I, I think they're already paying enough by sacrificing everything to be in the Middle East. A lot of them, at least, right now. This SB Nation article reads: In all, the DoD, the Department of Defense, spent 10.4 million on marketing contracts with teams in the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and MLS. This does not count sponsorships in NASCAR, which could total as much as 100 million dollars. So you see this happening with all these major league sports that we have here in the United States. CBS Sports is reporting, and this was on May the 11th, 2015, the Department of Defense paid 14 NFL teams $5.4 million to honor soldiers. And I love the tributes when we see... When we see these soldiers, I, I uh, went to high school uh, w- with a guy who, who's in the military right now, and I remember he wrote a Facebook post saying uh, he went to a preseason game, and he was on the sidelines, and the coolest thing was just people clapping and, and cheering for them when they walked through the tunnels and through the sidelines, and people just shouting, thank you, we love you, thank you for your service. And that was years ago when I when I had saw his post and looking at at this and hearing about this. If we're going to be outraged by someone who wants to sit out during the national anthem, I think there are other things we need to be outraged about if we want to talk about our military and what's being dis, disrespectful. 
I, look, we've got to go after the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, I mean, what Colin Kaepernick is doing is by far the least worst thing that we have happening with NFL players. Let's go through the list of guys, and I can't do that because it's such a long list, and you all know this. Let's go through the list of players with DUIs. Players who have been involved in domestic violence or athletes, other celebrities who are involved in sexual abuse or or domestic violence. I have not seen the outrage for those guys like I have seen for Colin Kaepernick. Greg Hardy didn't even get this much attention. Nor Ray Rice, even when that footage came out of of him and his uh, his girlfriend or, or wife at the time, I don't remember what their status was at the time. When that video came out on TMZ, it got a lot of attention, but not the amount that Colin Kaepernick's getting. And it's weird because this is, I mean, obviously we can all agree that domestic violence, sexual abuse, all that stuff is wrong. But the Colin Kaepernick thing, what's funny to me is he's still getting a lot of criticism and there are so many people who are split on this. What that tells me is, even let, let's say it's 50-50, okay? Let's say 50% defend Kaepernick, 50% don't. The 50% who don't defend him, their voices are heard. Where were these people when Greg Hardy was in the center of attention? Or Ray Rice? Or any, any of these other players who've done something terribly wrong off the field. We, we never heard these people. But see, here are so many people, and I can understand, people in the military do tend to have a bigger voice. I, I, I can understand that. But still, in this social media era that we're in today, there's no reason that you cannot voice your opinion. And so many people seem to... Not want to say anything, I guess, for Greg Hardy, Ray Rice, or any of these other players. I mean, look at Hope Solo and the things that she's gotten in trouble for. Her comments, the domestic violence that she has been involved in. And it's not just her or NFL players. There's so many players who are athletes. Like I said, athletes, celebrities who have committed these kinds of acts. And Colin Kaepernick is really getting all this attention for just sitting uh, look, I'll say it again, like I said in the last podcast, no one's being physically harmed. No one's getting hurt. I can understand people's feelings are, are hurt by this. And, and again, I think it's crazy to see how much people are offended easily over certain things. If you're offended by this, I can't blame you. I, this is a personal thing to a lot of people. Like I said, I can understand if, you're, if your loved one is in the military or has served in the military. And by the way, if they have, or if you have listening, thank you very much. Again, it's not an easy task to do. It takes a lot of courage and bravery and, of course, all the sacrifice in the world. I just truly think that at the end of the day, there are far bigger issues than Kaepernick sitting out. And I really wish the media and the fans would focus on those issues instead. I still think this needs to be discussed. Don't get me wrong. But there are far more important things that need to be addressed. And it really irritates me seeing that Colin Kaepernick has been criticized more than anyone ever. I mean, the whole Tim Tebow thing, when when he was painted as a good guy and a religious guy, I can understand some people, religion may not be part of their life, and that's okay. You know, we we all have different lifestyles. But the fact that Tim Tebow got criticized for being a religious guy, a good guy, on and off the field, that sickened me. 
I, I, I've, I've never seen a guy get so much hate like Tim Tebow has. Why? For just being a good guy. I didn't realize that, and by the way, it's funny because when someone does something wrong, like Cam Newton, and the things that Cam Newton got criticized for, walking out of a press conference, not not having his hand over his heart, which by the way, I, I just need to warn you, there are a lot of Chiefs players, I'm not going to drop names, but if you pay close attention, if you're ever at, the, at Arrowhead, there are a lot of Chiefs players who do not put a hand over their heart. So if you want to criticize Cam Newton, hey, look to your own team first. And by the way, I think this brings up another interesting topic because it's 9-11 and the recent controversy that has gone on. What are Chiefs fans going to chant during the end of the National Anthem? Well, look, uh, we, we, we've, had, uh, we've had 9-11 at uh, our head a couple of times, uh, like I said, in 2004 and 2011. I remember in 2011 they were asking fans to not say Chiefs just for that one occasion some fans did some fans didn't I I remember posting that on social media at the time and a lot of you guys said that hey look this is my one opportunity to go to Arrowhead I don't get to go often I'm gonna say it I I think it was 50 50 I remember they replayed it quite a lot with the news stations uh I I think during an occasion like this it's best to keep it off and again if, if if you decide to do it like so many people have defended Colin Kaepernick, uh, we are free to say what we want. Uh, so if Chiefs fans want to say home with the Chiefs, uh, more power to you. Uh, I, I think it would be nice for this occasion uh, because it is the 15-year anniversary. Regardless how many years it's been, it is September the 11th. It's, it's a special tribute, of course, uh, for, to what happened uh, 15 years ago. So uh, I think in honor of those who lost their lives and those who are serving because of uh, what happened on, uh, on that day, it might be best to not do it for once. We'll see how things turn out. I don't think the Chiefs have said anything about that this time. I remember they did it uh, five years ago, but uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case this time. All right, switching gears now and uh, looking at the Chiefs' 2016 season. And I think there's a lot to consider with this Chiefs team going into this season. Uh, number one, I, I think uh, if there's a positive about this Chiefs team... They were able to bring back a lot of their players. The only key loss was Sean Smith at the cornerback spot, which I think that might get exposed this season. But the good part is, other than Sean Smith, they did bring back a lot of their key veterans. Guys like Derek Johnson, Tamba Hali. Uh, the bad news is they were able to keep Eric Berry for at least one more year. But the bad news is, uh, of, of course, the surgery with Justin Houston and the amount of time he will miss, the Eric Berry absence... Uh, you know, you know, it's not like Eric Berry has to be at OTAs and and training camp because this, I mean, this is a a very good safety. But at the same time, uh, just about all the veterans are out there. I mean, if OTAs were really optional, I mean, they say it is it is a a voluntary thing. But let's be honest. I mean, if you're not at OTA, if Alex Smith is not at OTAs, guess what's going to be the Number one red story on the Kansas City Stars website. And guess what's going to be on the front page of ESPN's website? Alex Smith, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, not showing up to OTA. So these OTAs are still required. I mean, it's good to be around your team, especially some of the newer teammates. Uh, get acclimated. Maybe you're, Maybe the coaching staff wants to try new things. So I think the Eric Berry absence, that's definitely more negative than positive. Uh but but I don't think for the most part it's going to necessarily uh, put a dent on this season for uh, by by all means. Uh, but something that might put a dent on this team season, uh, I think Jamal Charles 
who is reported to either not play this week or be very limited as he continues to recover, sat out all of the preseason and training camp. Uh, Justin Houston, of course, did not participate in any preseason games. He's going to be out for at least six weeks. And look, Justin Houston has been a big part of this defense, even in 2013 and 2015 when he missed the last few games of those two regular seasons. He has still been a big part of this defense. And in 2014, we saw what he did coming really close to breaking Michael Strahan's sack record, uh, single season sack record. So I've got to wonder because we all know what Chuck Hendrick was and Spencer Ware are capable of. But if you even have Jamal Charles in the backfield also... I think it makes it even better. And by the way, for those who love stats like I do, this is something I never noticed, but I, I was prepping for the podcast and I looked at this. Jamal Charles ran 71 times and rushed for 364 yards. Spencer Ware, meanwhile, had one more carry than Jamal Charles, 72, and ran for way more yards, 403 yards. Charles had a 5.1 yard per carry average. Where with a 5.6 yard per carry average? Again, I, I I don't think that it's going to make a difference. I still think this is a Chiefs football team that's well equipped with Ware and West. But you still have Jamal Charles on your team uh, for a reason. Jamal Charles had more first down carries than Spencer Ware did, and I think Jamal Charles his his explosiveness coming out of the backfield, especially as a pass catcher under Andy Reid. That's something to, to 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 account for because he can do a lot of damage to opposing defenses. Even though uh, West and Where are I mean they, they've got a lot of speed. Jamal Charles got top notch speed, and you need that for this defense. And it's also interesting because if Jamal Charles does not play this week, that means Nile Davis will be uh, likely he'll be active for the team. If Jamal Charles is 100% ready to come back for week two. It'll be interesting to see what the Chiefs decide to do with Niall Davis or DeAnthony Thomas, the two players who a lot of fans were surprised by uh, when they made the 53-man roster. But nonetheless, as far as the uh, upcoming season, I, I mean, not having Charles and Houston arguably your best offensive and defensive players, I think that could play a role in your season. Now, the Chargers are not necessarily a... Dangerous, scary team coming into Arrowhead, but at the end of the day, you can never overlook a football team. I mean, look, Chiefs fans know it best when they defeated the Green Bay Packers in 2011, when it seemed like all odds were against them, handed them their first loss of the year, the reigning Super Bowl champions that year. The way I see the offense right now, and I broke down the offense and defense on the last podcast, be sure you check it out if you haven't. I think this offense is is going to do better than they have in years past. And I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. We gave Alex Smith plenty of passes in 2014 because of the O-line and the wide receivers not being able to catch a touchdown pass. But, uh, it, it, by the way, yeah, I, Dwayne Bow should have at least had one. But I think it was in Week 17 where he fumbled going into the end zone and Travis Kelsey Recovered it, which is pretty funny. If you if you have the time, go look that play up. Travis Kelsey actually looked upset that he caught. He he wanted the wide receivers to get a touchdown. Which speaking of Travis Kelsey, I, I think that's who your offense is highly built around. I think who Alex Smith is going to be working with the most are Travis Kelsey, Jeremy Macklin, your clear cut number one wide receiver. And then your three running backs, Jamal Charles, Sharkhandrick West, and Spencer Ware. Again, I think those are five good players to have around you, but 
if you don't have a viable number two wideout, and again, let's be honest, yes, You've got some good speedsters and guys like Albert Wilson and Chris Conley. And a lot of people are still talking about how Chris Conley was a combine warrior. But not every combine warrior turns into a good player. So to me, I, I still need more from uh, from those two guys before we can really declare as to who's a true number two wide receiver. There's a lot to prove, uh, a lot left for those guys to prove. And it's still uncertain as to who the slot guy is and, and who else uh, Alex Smith's going to, to throw to. Sure, you've got DeAnthony Thomas, Tyreek Hill, but I've got to be honest, after that last preseason game, maybe it was just one bad game, but Tyreek Hill dropping three passes from Tyler Bray. I mean, good passes. It could not have been better, but you've got to be able to pull those in. And yeah, you can have a lot of speed. That's one thing. But if you don't catch the football, your speed means absolutely nothing. So Alex Smith, I think, and Andy Reid's done a great job of bringing in speedsters to this football team. He's done a great job of utilizing those guys. We saw that with Dexter McCluster during his only season with Andy Reid in 2013. But how else will will the rest of these guys, uh, guys like Jamal Charles, West, Ware, Niall Davis, DeAnthony Thomas, Albert Wilson, Jeremy Macklin, uh, and, and Chris Conley. I mean, these are your, and Tyree Kill, I forgot to mention. I mean, those are your key guys on offense. And, uh, you know, a guy like Travis Kelsey, a very gifted athlete, not not many tight ends have the speed that Travis Kelsey does. Uh, and, of course, the uh, dominant blocking, too. Uh, this is an offense that has a lot to work with. And I think this offensive line is going to do better. I think Eric Fisher is going to have his breakout season finally played like a number one overall draft pick. Uh, of course, adding Mitchell Schwartz, a huge pickup. You've got two good offensive tackles on this team. Mitch Morris uh, had a phenomenal rookie season as a center, switching from that tackle spot, going to center, something he's not very familiar with, and excelled uh, for a guy who hasn't played much interior offensive line before in, in his career at Mizzou. The thing that might scare me the most is, like I said, Justin Houston's absence. Who Who is the Ford? And is he going to be able to step up when we need him to the most? Of course, he had a big game against the Chargers, but did it against a, a backup tackle in Chris Hairston. Can he do what he did last year, like have that three-sack game? Can he have two, two and a half, three sacks every now and then? And again, we, we know guys cannot, even the top premier pass rushers can have multi-sack games every single week. But can D Ford consistently get pressure? I said this last podcast Sacks aren't everything. It's how much pressure these guys get. And those are stats you don't necessarily see on ESPN.com or NFL.com. More so on Pro Football Focus than you do uh, on your traditional sports pages where they have statistics. So D4 has got to be able to, to find a way to get into a rhythm and do that consistently. Which I thought he did last year. But again, with a much tougher schedule the Chiefs have this year, that's going to be vital for the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs can do that, they've got a great front seven. I mean, they have pro bowlers at the defensive line, at the linebackers' uh, corps, and in the secondary. I mean, who would not want Dontari Poe, Jay Howard, and Alan Beal? I mean, I, those are three good defensive linemen. And, of course, you've got Chris Jones, your top rookie, who's going to contribute as well. Then you've got your linebackers. And if Justin Houston's healthy and active... Even better. But again, just like when Dontari Poe was recovering from back surgery, he just was not his true Pro Bowl self. 
And I worry the same thing about Justin Houston when he does return, if he does return this season for the Kansas City Chiefs. And in the secondary, well, you know what you have in Eric Berry, and I think Marcus Peters, who had a phenomenal rookie season, he's definitely going to be tested this year because he's not going to be facing quarterbacks like Johnny Manziel, Ryan Mallett, those guys. I mean, he's going to be facing much tougher competition. So, Landry Jones, the list goes on and on. The easy QBs that Marcus Peters was able to do well against. And I think that's my biggest question mark is, how will this Chiefs defense do? And the offense, the team as a whole, when it comes to facing challenging teams. I mean, you've got some tougher opponents this year. The thing that bothered me the most about the Chiefs in 2014 is that they beat the top two teams in the AFC and the NFC, the two teams that went to the Super Bowl in the Patriots and the Seahawks. And I get they were both at Arrowhead, but look, when you beat the best teams in the in each conference, that says a lot. I don't care where the, the, the location is. It could even be at a neutral site. Still an impressive win to me. But they didn't make the playoffs that year. That 0-2 start in that three-game losing streak late in the season really hurt this football team. In 2013 and 2015, the Chiefs won 11 games both of those years. They had a 9-0 start and an 11-game winning streak, or or a 10-game winning streak, I should say, to close out the 2015 regular season. The 9-0 start was, of course, in 2013. The 11-game winning streak, which I got mixed up by, that includes a playoff win. But the problem is, with that winning streak, the Chiefs defeated a lot of cupcake teams. And no, the Pittsburgh Steelers, by all means, they're not a cupcake team. Uh, I mean, if you have Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown both on the field, in my opinion, that's the best QB to wide receiver duo in the NFL. Nothing better than that. I think the closest, and again, I'm kind of cheating when I say this because it's a QB to tight end duo, it's Tom Brady to, to Rob Gronkowski. That's the second best QB to pass catcher duo in the NFL. And it's a close number one and number two. My biggest issue with this Chiefs team, as great as they've been ever since Andy Reid's gotten here, winning 11 games twice and 9 games in 2014, three consecutive years you've gone above 500, you finished above 500, something that has not happened since the Marty Schottenheimer era. The thing that bothers me the most is that this Chiefs football team in 2013 and 2015, the two years they made the playoffs, they beat a lot of easy teams, and they couldn't step up when it came to beating more tougher teams. And look, I get it. The Texans also, I mean, they made the playoffs and the Chiefs beat the Texans. By all means, I'm not taking I'm not taking any credit away. The Chiefs earned their first playoff victory in 22 years. So you've got to give credit to the Chiefs for still being able to do that. However, we can also spend some time talking about how Houston also got into the playoffs with an easy schedule. And I know people will talk about how the Chiefs should have hosted a playoff or played host to the Houston Texans and should have had a playoff game at Arrowhead because they had the better record. Well, look, of course fans are going to say that if their team has a better record. In 2010, the Ravens had a better record and they came to Arrowhead for a playoff game. And Chiefs fans were pretty silent about that subject. So, look, I've always believed that winning your division should have some sort of value. So, look, I don't care if you're 7-9 and nine, you deserve a game at, at your own stadium if you won the division. 
And look, we've seen a pair of 7-9 and nine teams in the Seahawks, I believe in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe the Carolina Panthers in 2014, those two teams, each of them had a 7-9 and nine season, won their divisions, and then they won a postseason game. So look, uh, I'm not going to sit here and criticize a team for going 7-9, 8-8, and 9-7, and hosting a playoff game. If you win your division, you deserve it, and at the end of the day, it's a brand new season in the playoffs. It really is. So the Chiefs, of course, you know, back to what I was saying, yeah, they beat Houston, but let's be honest, is are the Texans, I mean, was that a quality win? I think that's a big thing to keep in mind. So I'm looking at the 2016 schedule, and the Chiefs do have some tough opponents this year. I know the Jets, they struggle late in the season after a phenomenal start, but I still think that defense, uh, I mean, that's something that you've got to account for. Pittsburgh Steelers, Sunday Night Football in Week 4. That, of course, is going to be your toughest game before the bye week. But then you look at after the bye week, you go to Oakland. And I know a lot of people have mixed thoughts on Oakland. The Raiders are going to win this division. I think they truly will win this division. This Raiders team really does have a lot of talent. And I think like the Kansas City Royals, that talent is going to finally play together as a cohesive unit. Something we haven't seen from the Royals over the years. And now we see what they're doing over at the K. Just across the street from Arrowhead Stadium. The Raiders... I think very similar story, and I hope you guys aren't offended with the Raiders and Royals comparison, but let's be honest, the Raiders have had a lot of talented players over the years. They just haven't played together, and and I think coaching has been a problem too with this football team. Now you have a good coaching staff. Now you have the talent on the field. You've got the quarterback. You've got everyone around you. What else do you need from this team? This team's going to run the tables in this division. They really will, and I know a lot of Chiefs fans, they still think the Raiders are the same old Raiders. Guess what? I think a lot of Chiefs fans are going to be in for a surprise. I hope you guys are ready because this is a Raiders team that's going to do a lot better this year than they have. They're going to finally finish above 500 for the first time since their Super Bowl loss. That year they went and played against the Bucks. The Colts and the Saints, uh, two teams who the Chiefs are going to face, those are teams who both played poorly last year and I think are going to do better this year, especially when... Injuries are going to be limited. I think Drew Brees still has a lot left in the tank. Andrew Luck had one bad year last year. Also, injuries played a role in his tough season. But look, everyone has a bad year every now and then. Uh, So I think this year, Andrew Luck's going to have his bounce back year. Possibly a candidate for the Comeback Player of the Year award, along with Jamal Charles. Now, you've got a couple of what some people might say easy teams uh, you've got a three-week span where you play the Jaguars, the Panthers on the road, and then the Buccaneers at home. Uh, I think the Jaguars and Bucks they might be seen as the easier teams, but look, I think Jacksonville has a very underrated offense. I mean, they really do. You look at their wide receivers, Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson, those are two guys you definitely don't want to go up against. Blake Bortles did lead the NFL in interceptions with 18. And, and look, let's be honest, it probably should have been Peyton Manning, and it would have been Peyton Manning had he played all 16 games. But Blake Bortles, even though he led the league in interceptions with 18, he also had 35 touchdown passes, which tied with three other players for second most behind Tom Brady's 36. 
And to give you an idea who he was tied with, Eli Manning, Carson Palmer, and Cam Newton. And we all know Cam Newton. I mean, that's Cam Newton to throw that many touchdown passes while also being such an elusive quarterback, a rushing quarterback as well. That's pretty impressive. So Blake Bortles is with some good company right there. So even though the Jaguars maybe weren't necessarily a threat last year, I think that offense can really do a lot of damage to a defense. And for Kansas City, if you don't have your number two, your true number two cornerback, and with Marcus Peters now stepping into a brand new role as the primary cornerback, it's going to be a tough test for the Kansas City Chiefs defensively. It really will. And the Buccaneers, I maybe that's an easier game than I'm maybe making it seem like, but I still think that's still an offense that you cannot discredit. Now, late in November, later into the se- uh, to close out the season, you've got Denver twice, and you've also got the Raiders at home. You're going to finish the season at San Diego. You've got the Atlanta Falcons in there. Again, a team similar to the Jets. Great start, very sloppy ending. Uh, the Titans also in there, another young football team you've got on your schedule. Listen, I, I thought the Chiefs are. I feel like the Chiefs will split with the Broncos. That's at least what I thought before that Thursday night game. That Thursday night game kind of has me shaken with my prediction. I don't know if the Chiefs are really going to split with Denver. Maybe they do. Maybe they sweep them. Who knows? But that Denver team, I mean, they're better than I thought. And certainly your expectations for the Broncos were a lot lower. I thought the Panthers were easily going to put 30 points on this football team, and I thought the Broncos' offense was going to struggle putting up points. Not the case. Not the case with that Denver team. They're a lot better than I think we gave them credit for. So I think Denver can definitely pose some problems to the Chiefs, and the Falcons, that all depends on what kind of a football team they will be. They've been really, really good, and then they've been really, really bad. You never know what this Atlanta football team. They've been really... Uh, the hardest football team to predict in my mind the past four or five years. So that's what you have. And by the way, three of your last four games are at Arrowhead Stadium. December the 8th, well, week 14, week 15, week 16. And of course, week 16 is that uh, highly anticipated Christmas night game against the Denver Broncos, which now, looking at it, could be a possible factor as to who makes the playoffs and who doesn't and if the Raiders don't live up to my expectations that could be for the division you never know and then you close out the season on the road at San Diego but look those last four games three of them at Arrowhead three of them against the divisional opponents the Chiefs could not have asked for a better opportunity to control their own destiny to finish the season and possibly make the playoffs maybe win the division but at least your number one priority is get into the playoffs. Then after that, try to win the division. And the Chiefs have that golden opportunity from weeks 14, 15, 16 through 17. And if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm thanking the schedule makers a thank you note for that generous schedule to finish off the season. I think every team would love to be facing their division rivals in the last three or four weeks. And by the way, I'll take it one step further and go to the final six weeks because the Chiefs do play the Denver Broncos in week 12. They've got the Falcons week 13. Then in weeks 14, 14, you've got the Raiders week 15, the the Titans. Then in 16 and 17, you've got the Broncos and the Chargers. So this is a team that can really control things and run the AFC West if things are going well after week 13. Guess what? In week 14, 15, 16, and 17... 
you control this division. And that's the best. The best thing in, in sports is to have control of your own destiny. If you don't, I mean, and I get it. It's exciting in 2006 when the Chiefs relied on all those teams and just had the biggest miracle in the world. The 49ers barely making that field goal against the uh, against the Broncos. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but the Bengals kicker missing, missing a chip shot field goal. And I believe it was the Steelers who came away with the win. Those are exciting. Don't get me wrong. But it's more ideal to be ahead of the pact and be able to control the division. So there's your Chiefs schedule and in just my outlook for this Chiefs team. As to how many wins... Oh, this is the fun part, and I'm ready for this on social media. Let me know if you agree, disagree, if I'm a hater, if I should be a Raiders fan for hating. Facebook.com slash Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and of course Snapchat V. This is the fun part. I've got the Chiefs winning seven games this year. Seven games. I think they get swept by the Raiders. They split with the Chargers and the Broncos. And again, I'm a little shaky with the with the Broncos prediction because what I saw Thursday night, not the same team that I thought I was going to see. The Houston Texans are going to be an interesting team. Here are the teams that I think are going to be much different than they were last year. The Texans, the Jets, the Saints and Colts for sure, and the Jaguars. Some of the top teams that you're going to be facing, I think outside of your division, maybe even if you include the division... I think the Steelers are the best team who the Chiefs are going to face this year and the Colts. And I think the Raiders are next on that list in terms of the best teams you're going to face. And I'll I'll write the Jets right behind them. But my my, my point is, this is a much more challenging season for the Chiefs. Tougher opponents. And again, if I mean the, the Chiefs had some tough opponents for late last year, but injuries played a role for teams like the... The Ravens, the Steelers, if injuries play a role, which by the way, unfortunately injuries are a part of sports, if the Chiefs can be fortunate to avoid the injury bug and if other teams end up losing their key quarterbacks or key players, take advantage of it. That's what you're supposed to do. You never apologize for a victory in the NFL. I know I'm, I've been critical of the Chiefs getting through easy schedules two of the past three years, getting into the playoffs. But look, I never said you apologize for those wins. I still did not expect the Chiefs to go 9-0 or to finish with a 10-game winning streak last year. So by all means, do whatever it takes to win. And I, by the way, I'd love to be wrong. So for, for those who are thinking I, I want the Chiefs to, to, to fail, by all means, no. Uh, now, by, of course, I want, I'm, I want my prediction to be correct. I, I think that it's impressive. I mean, it gives you something to brag about a bit. But I'd love to be wrong, for sure. As for this Sunday, what I think will happen between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Let's look at the Chargers. Uh, we, we know about Phillip Rivers and what he brings to the table. We'll get to him in a moment. But as far as the defense, I think this is where the Chiefs and the uh, the Chiefs offensive line, you get your true first test. And this is where I'm really going to know if I'm right or not about this offensive line. I, like I said, I think the offensive line is going to do better. It's a matter of how good will they be. And this is a true test right here. You've got a very good nose tackle in 
Brandon Mabane, who was acquired from the Seattle Seahawks, who was, of course, part of their dominant defense the past three or four years. And he's pretty much the Dontari Poe equivalency. Just a more experienced guy. I believe he's going into his 11th season with the... Well, in the NFL, this is his first year with the Chargers. And this is a guy who's definitely going to occupy multiple offensive linemen. And then you've got your outside linebackers, Melvin Ingram and Kyle Emanuel, guys who are definitely going to cause some problems. And Jeremiah Atachu as well. And the defensive line, they've got some good defensive linemen too and Corey Legay and Darius Fillon. And here's the part where... Joey Bosa gets involved, number 99, if he does play. And I know he signed late, missed a lot of repetitions in in training camp with the drama and and the controversy that took place. And and now the injury he's dealing with, if he is ready to play in week one, if Brendan McBain does his job for the Chargers, Joey Bosa, Corey Legay, Atachu, those guys are definitely going to create some problems for that Chiefs offensive line, which is bad news for Alex Smith and the rest of the offense. Pass rushers, by far the number one biggest thing in the NFL. You know for sure the Chargers are going to do everything to get that pass rush ready to go on Sunday to try and silence that crowd at Arrowhead Save. And in fact, uh, I, I know usually teams, well, fans love to see their team receive the football to start off a game. The smarter choice, of course, is to defer or to... Uh, nowadays you can defer, but to lose a coin toss, I mean, that used to be what you wanted in NFL games, but uh, if I'm I'm the Chargers, I'm hoping to either defer or for the Chiefs say that they want to receive the football. If I'm a Chargers fan, I want to see the Chargers defense there first. I want to see them go out there and get off to a hot start, force a three and out, or or at at the very least, not allow points, giving the offense an opportunity to strike first. So, this Chargers defense is really what's going to help the, the team come through and uh, try to get a win at Arrowhead. As far as the offense, not a lot of young guys on this football team. By the way, no starters for the defense. No rookie starters, I should say. And maybe Joe, Joey Bosa gets that starting role later in the season. But as of now, because of his late arrival to the team, it's going to have to wait. For the Chargers, the only rookie starter they would have, and again, this is if they use a fullback on their first play of the game, is their fullback, Derek Watt, who was a six-round draft pick in this year's draft. Now, we all know what Philip Rivers is capable of. I mean, a great passer, one of the best in the NFL, and he's got a lot of key weapons around him. Keenan Allen, Travis Benjamin, and of course you can never forget about Antonio Gates. I know he hasn't been his true self the past couple of years. Injuries has definitely played a role, uh, unfortunately, in his career, uh, derailed his career. But you can never uh, rule a guy out just because he's been slow the past couple of years. Someone can easily just rebound and have one of the best seasons that they've ever had in their careers. So uh, I I think uh, Antonio Gates, there's no, no reason to believe he'll be bad. So this is someone who uh, who Phil Rivers is going to tra- target a lot, and Travis Benjamin, a guy who uh, acquired from the Cleveland Browns, joining the San Diego Chargers. This is a guy who can definitely pose some uh, mismatches for opposing quarterbacks. 
As far as the offensive linemen, King Dunlop, Orlando Franklin, a couple of good linemen there. DJ Fluker, I think an underrated offensive lineman. That was our first-round draft pick in 2013. And then you also have Joe Barksdale. And then maybe a guy like Max Turek could eventually become the starter for this team. Uh, Kind of a versatile guy, but Matt Slauson listed as the current starter at center for the Chargers. Maybe the second time these two teams play, which is going to be in the... Week 17, the season finale, it could be a Sunday night game. You never know if the Chargers do better than most think. Uh, Maybe you do see Max Turek as the starter right at the middle of the offensive line. But for the most part, this is a very similar offense that we've seen the past couple of years not necessarily live up to the expectations. When you have a quarterback like Phillip Rivers, who, let's be honest, if he was a free agent right now, a lot of teams would love to have Phillip Rivers on on their teams. Now, how you beat Phillip Rivers, that's easy. We've seen it uh, several times. And the Chiefs have been so fortunate to have plenty of great pass rushers over the years, like Jared Allen, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali. And I know you're not going to have Justin Houston in this football game, but you will have Tom Bahali. Is he going to be a situational guy, a third-down pass rusher? We don't know. But you've got Frank Zombo and D. Ford, guys who have been getting a lot of reps and let's not forget about Daddy Nicholas, who had a nice way, a nice, impressive preseason finale. And again, the week four preseason game, you can't look too much into that. But he earned his stripes on this football team. And I think he's definitely going to be a guy who gets some uh, some action this Sunday uh, against the Chargers. And if I had to tell you the Chargers win if and the Chiefs win if, I'm going to give you the same key for both teams. The winner of this team is going to have the best pass rushing. We saw that last year in that narrow 10-3 victory against the Chargers when D. Ford had three sacks all in the fourth quarter against Phillip Rivers. But how is that going to happen this time? I mean, are are the Chiefs going to be able to consistently get to Phillip Rivers from start to finish? How are the Chargers going to do against Alex Smith? He has a lot. I mean, Alex Smith, of course, he's not much of a deep pass guy. He always goes with his quick throws. I remember when the Chiefs and were getting ready to face Peyton Manning in 2013. People talked about how are the Chiefs going to uh, get to Peyton Manning. Well, of course, the, the pass rush, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, they can get there quickly. But guess what Peyton Manning did? He had quick, short throws. And I think if the Chiefs want to win this football game, if they want to prevent San Diego's pass rush from spoiling the home opener for Arrowhead and the Chiefs fans in attendance... Well, Alex Smith has got to continue to do those quick short throws. I know it's not the most exciting football. He's been criticized for that quite a lot. But, hey, look, win any way you can. A lot of quarterbacks do that nowadays. The dinks and dunk passes in the NFL. Especially when you're facing pass rushers uh, like the Chiefs will be going up against this week against the Chargers. Like I said, uh, when the Chiefs were 9-0 and faced the Broncos a couple of years ago, Peyton Manning did not look like Peyton Manning. That we were so used to. We didn't see a lot of deep passes from number 18. He went out there, threw a lot of short passes to his wide receivers, and the offensive linemen, uh, they, they weren't great, but they did enough to allow Peyton Manning to keep his jersey clean that entire game. But the thing about Phillip Rivers is it's so easy to put pressure on this guy. I mean, he easily, it's so easy to frustrate quarterbacks with pressure, and once you do that, these quarterbacks can't really focus. I've come to the conclusion, as silly as this sounds, 
I truly do feel that a quarterback has less confidence after a sack than he would after an interception. Because at least with the interception, you go on the sidelines, you can kind of recuperate, just just get it together, get a drink, whatever you need to do. Whereas a sack, you just got beat on the play, and it might not even be third down. It could be second down. You're getting ready to face a long third down. And of course, guess what? Fans at Arrowhead Stadium are, are, are going to be pretty loud there. I've got to be honest. I've been going back and forth on this. <laughs> you guys, for those who follow me on Twitter, you saw I posted my week 17 picks, which or week 17. I'm getting way too ahead of myself. Week one pick. We just started the season. I don't want it to end so soon. Uh, week one picks. And I did say San Diego. And I think Phillip Rivers, if he can adjust and kind of do what Peyton Manning did against the Chiefs a couple of years ago, go with those quick passes, not necessarily look for the long passes uh, to try and get through the the secondary. I think Phillip Rivers could win this football game for for the Chargers. But I don't know. I, I I think Alex Smith, the type of quarterback he is, uh, with his, uh, the, the, I guess you could say he excels at short passes. It's not a terrible thing. It's better than turning the ball over. He's one of the best in the NFL in taking care of the football. Plus his ability to scramble. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL when it comes to escaping pressure. So I've got to say, uh, in terms of who I think will have the better game, not necessarily statistically, I think Phillip Rivers could still beat out Alex Smith with passing yards, I think Alex Smith could still have the better overall game for a quarterback. Commit less turnovers, maybe none. No one in this Chargers secondary is really threatening, especially with Eric Weddle no longer on this football team. But I think Alex Smith can get through this uh, this front seven and survive. As far as Phillip Rivers... Uh, you've you've got Eric Berry and Marcus Peters, guys who can uh, definitely uh, be ball hawks. And that pressure, if it's there, and again, I, I worry about this a little bit because Tom Bahali, again, we don't know if he's going to play a lot or a little bit, of, be a third down guy. What's going to be his role with this football team? D Ford, yeah, he did have that great game against the Chargers, but can he do it consistently, especially against starters? And now he's going to be the primary guy for your team uh, for at least six weeks. Those guys have really, I mean, those, those are the question marks I have with this football team. And I think if the pass rush isn't there because of the absence of Justin Houston and the inexperience with guys like D. Ford and Daddy Nicholas, those got Frank Zombo as well, that's where the Chiefs could suffer. And, uh, might get hurt in this game. So I think Phillip Rivers could survive in this game. And I hate to say it. And again, like I said, with my season prediction of seven wins for the Chiefs, I hope I'm wrong, but I do think the Chiefs come to Arrowhead and pick up a win and will leave Kansas City victorious. I say the Chiefs, or pardon me, the Chargers will win this one in a narrow contest. I'll say I'll say 16-10. That'll be my prediction for this week. 16-10. San Diego, don't hate. Don't hate. I, I, for those who've listened over the years, by the way, you guys all know I like to keep it real, and uh, I, I, I'm more realistic than a fan. And I, I, I love this football team. And, and, and anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Chiefs fan, but uh, I've got to be realistic too. And I think the Chargers can come, come in here. Here's one thing that I will say about the Chiefs, though, in terms of home openers. 
The Chiefs have really disappointed us. This, and again, I, I hate patterns, but this pattern has kind of stuck with me. If you remember in 2011, I mentioned this with the 9-11 10-year uh, anniversary tribute, the Chiefs played the Buffalo Bills. I remember the Chiefs were big favorites to win that game. One of the biggest favorites going into week one, the Bills obliterated the Chiefs 41-7. to And then a year later against the Atlanta Falcons, I think Chiefs fans felt better with Romeo Cornell and how he did as an interim head coach. Chiefs fans thought that Maybe they could have a better game against the Falcons to start off the season. And that was Tony Gonzalez's first game with Atlanta. Falcons won that one 40-24, completely shut down the Chiefs in the second half. And then in 2014, the Chiefs played host to the Tennessee Titans. And that was their worst loss of the season. 16 points, losing 26-10. to Not the worst loss in the world, but... That's how you started off your season, and that that put a bad taste in everyone's mouths. Uh, and that, that's not a—I mean, that's a team that that ended up finishing with the worst record in the NFL. They ended up acquiring Marcus Mariota. Maybe that game right there against Tennessee could have been the difference maker for the Chiefs in making the playoffs that year, or maybe not losing one of those three games during that three-game losing streak uh, they had in uh, late November and early December. So this is uh, that's really my concern with this football team. They've uh, not only gotten through with easy schedules, but when we think it's easy, they lose early on in the uh, home season opener against a team who many feel like they should have won. The Chiefs are the second highest favorites, by the way, going into week one. The Packers being the more dominant favorites. But again, here's my problem with the Chiefs. And I, I hate to say this because I know I just said I'm a realist, and I've got to you've got to look at the facts here and what you what you can predict. But at the same time, to me, with all the expectations and standards, doesn't it feel a little too good to be true? I feel like we've seen this picture before, especially in 2012 and 2014, the way the Chiefs started off those two seasons and how they ended ended up. I, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's really tough for me to sit here and be optimistic and say that the Chiefs are going to win the division and possibly contend for a Super Bowl. I know time's running out for some of these veterans like Holly and Johnson, and they, 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 they want it bad. They really do. And Alex Smith, too, on the offense. He's been around for a long time. He might be co- contemplating retirement in the next couple of years. Again, like I said, I hope I'm wrong, but... Uh, I've just got the Chiefs falling short in this one by six, losing sixteen to ten. I'd love to come back next podcast and say I'm wrong. So hopefully that could be the case. We'll see how how that turns out for the Chiefs against the Chargers. Time to go around the NFL. Okay, as you guys know, the Minnesota Vikings lost Teddy Bridgewater for the season, and guess what? They trade for Sam Bradford, and what do they give up? A first-round draft pick. Now, okay, you didn't necessarily draft Sam Bradford, but you have spent a first-round draft pick on him. Since 2011, the Vikings have used first-round draft picks on Christian Ponder... Teddy Bridgewater, and now Sam Bradford. Look, if you use three first-round draft... Well, I guess technically 
Well, I was going to say three first-round draft picks in five years, but it will be six years because that's a 2017 first-round pick. If you spend all of those draft picks on quarterbacks and it just doesn't seem like any of them are panning out, something's wrong with your scouting department. And I get it. You cannot swing and hit a home run with every single draft pick. You're going to have some misses here and there. The Chiefs have had them. Even the best general managers, the Patriots have had them. Everyone has them. And then everyone has some nice uh, diamond in the roughs with late-round draft picks. You have a couple here and there. The thing with the Vikings is, how are you going to win a championship if you are constantly using first-round draft picks on quarterbacks? I understand you want to save your season. There's a lot for Vikings fans to feel good about this year, so you're going to need a quarterback if you want to move on this year. But Sam Bradford, a guy who's absolutely unproven in his NFL career, and look, the, the Vikings might have two quarterbacks who they use first-round draft picks on who might end up injured. Let, let's be honest, Sam Bradford hasn't necessarily had the healthiest NFL career. I, I, I'd love to see him succeed. I, I, I was looking forward to seeing him in the NFL. We just haven't really seen much of him in the NFL. So, to me, if I'm a, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm kind of scratching my head seeing all these first-round draft picks being used on quarterbacks. It's got to stop at some point. I get if you use a first-round draft pick on two wide receivers in five years. I mean, a wide receiver, that's a position where you need multiple good good players of. A quarterback, you don't need two first-round quarterbacks. What do you do, by the way, moving forward in 2017? I know people are saying, oh, well, let's, let, let's have the 2016 season played out first. Okay, fine. But as a general manager and a scout, these guys are always thinking ahead. What do you do for 2017? You have Sam Bradford and Teddy Bridgewater, a first-round draft pick, and a guy who you traded a first-round draft pick for. Look, I don't know if I want my backup quarterback to be a first-round draft pick. Here's what's going to happen with Sam Bradford. Either he's gone and you use a first-round draft pick on him, or he is a first-round draft uh, you You traded a first-round draft pick for, and now he's your backup quarterback. I don't know. I, I'm not too big of a fan of this trade. I get the the asking price was high from the Eagles, but I, I, I just don't know. Maybe maybe the, the Vikings see something in him that we don't. Time to go out of bounds. Okay, uh, th- this is interesting. Uh, I think we can agree that if you... Uh, if your public persona is big, you can pretty much get away with a lot of things in life. This week, there are two guys with a big public personality, each of them pretty much getting a job that they wanted. Tim Tebow signed with the New York Mets, and CM Punk is about to have his first fight and mixed martial arts, which, by the way, he's going straight to the UFC. I get it. CM Punk in the WWE and the UFC kind of similarities. You're performing in front of a large audience. It's a it's a combat deal. I'm not here to say wrestling's fake. I'm not going to be that guy. It's scripted, yes, but wrestling and the UFC are two different things. CM Punk, the the background he's had, he's just. Trained with uh, the legendary Gracie family. He's trained Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. 
and of course, and now he's done the right things. He's took taken two years to train at Rufus Sports, one of the best gyms in the world. But here's my problem, man. There are so many people who are MMA fighters and small promotions doing amateur fights, trying to build their way up. And what happens? Some of them make it, some of them don't. Some of them have a very long road to the UFC or Bellator or Titan FC, whatever promotion, big promotion is out there. Guys like in Brazil, Japan who want to end up in the UFC. But here's CM Punk, who's going straight to the UFC. Look, I saw the uh, standoff and he did not shake hands with Mickey Gall. I hope he gets knocked out by Mickey Gall or he taps out. This Mickey Gold kid looks pretty good, by the way. He teaches jiu-jitsu. I mean, this guy's been in MMA for 10 years. CM Punk's been in it for just two years, and it's just training and sparring. He hasn't actually been in a fight yet. Yes, he's trained with the best in the world. He's done the, what he needs to do. But for a guy who's getting all this pay-per-view uh, exposure and all, I mean, he's he's on the poster of this pay-per-view. He's getting a lot of attention. And so is Mickey Gall, but Mickey Gall's not necessarily... Uh, I mean, he's basically thrown in it. And I'm not hating on CM Punk. I'm more hating on the UFC uh, because, come on. Uh, I mean, there are so many guys who are in smaller promotions who are trying to build their way up. And they want to they wanna get to the UFC. This match really shouldn't be happen. But look, Mickey Gall has an opportunity to uh, raise some eyebrows in the UFC. Go do some work. You are the real MMA fighter. CM Punk isn't. WWE fans are going to order this thinking, oh, see, it's funny, by the way, people think that The Undertaker can take on Conor McGregor. Uh, the Undertaker's like 100, okay? He's, he's got the, oh, the, 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 he comes with the, the smoke and all those things. People think WWE wrestlers are real fighters. They're not. Now, they have to be athletic to do those high-flying things off the cage and the ladders, yes. But they're not real fighters. I mean, if you throw those guys in an octagon or on a wrestling mat, they're not surviving, okay? Maybe guys like Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. I'd love to see Kurt Angle have tried MMA. Maybe he hasn't. I just never knew about it. But man, for the most part, outside of Lesnar and Kurt Angle, I don't know if these are guys who could really survive in a mixed martial arts field. Let's be honest, CM Punk is not going to have a very long career in the UFC. Yes, they're paying him to fight professionally instead of going to an amateur small organization. That's fine. But you know what? I, I, if the Boston Celtics called me and said you, they want me to be the head coach, guess what I'm doing? I'm going to become the head coach of the Boston Celtics because they're paying me to do it. Might be crazy of them. They'll, they'll get criticized. But the UFC is basically doing the same thing right here. They're saying, hey, look, you're Ono, but guess what? We're going to pay you to fight, to fight professionally. Good for CM Punk. I guess he earned it. Not necessarily the uh, most uh, ideal way, but he got it. Same thing with Tim Tebow. I, I guess Tebow time and, and what he did with Denver and all that magic, it, it paid off. And it allowed him to sign a contract with the New York Mets. And, and look, best of luck to these guys, okay? Uh, I just feel like there are more deserving guys that deserve what they have right now. There are people who built their way to getting that spot. And it's unfortunate that other people have gotten in the way in, for those who have worked so hard to try to get to that point. All right, time to throw some flags. Okay, uh, 
you all saw that Thursday night football game, I assume. Is the NFL really serious about all this? Did you see how many times Cam Newton got hit to the head? It's funny, people were so critical of Cam Newton uh, during that MVP run he had and during his postseason, and now people are all of a sudden behind Cam Newton coming to his defense. He got hit in the head so many times. Oh my God, Cam Newton. Poor Cam Newton. I love him. How could they hit him so many times in the head? It's funny. People can't decide what they want in, in a guy, whether they want to be behind him or, or come to his defense or hate him. What? I, I don't know. But anyway. Five helmet-to-helmet shots. I'm surprised he was able to finish that game. At one point, it looked like he might have had to come out. It was that offsetting penalty. And look, the I don't blame the refs for, for this one right here, but you cannot tell me those should offset, okay? A, a unnecessary roughness, the roughing the passer call, the helmet-to-helmet, that should clearly overrule the intentional grounding. I mean, gosh, wouldn't you be also committing an intentional grounding pass if you if someone's coming at you like that? I saw Jim Rome tweet this, and I know Jim Rome's not the most popular guy with his the way he goes about his sports takes, but he made a right call here. He, he posed a great question saying, hey, look, is it really intentional grounding if you've got uh, a helmet-to-helmet hit coming at you? I think that's something the NFL needs to go over with this. And by the way, I think the Panthers really need to be uh, criticized here because that that athletic training staff, guys, I, I get it. They, they get paid more than us, but it's not hard to tell that he could have had a concussion. How does a guy get hit that many times and not have a concussion? And look, it's PR. I get it. They told him that he, they, or they told the media that he there there was nothing wrong with him. We didn't see any signs of a concussion. Translation: We needed him on the field to help us get into field goal position before Gano missed and hit it wide left. I don't know, man. Uh, same thing with the Jamal Charles situation in 2014 when. In that ESPN interview, he uh, dropped the ball a bit when he uh, talked about how he was seeing some stars after that hit from Brandon Flowers. Uh, that was a bad PR mess for the Chiefs. Uh, PFAT, I think is what Andy Reid tried to call it. Okay, uh, last one here before I sign off. Uh, just a kind of a personal experience I had. I was uh, making a left turn on, on a street, and uh, it was gr- green for me, of course, and uh, I... Came really close to getting hit by a driver who was driving at least 45 to 50 miles an hour, running a red light, and uh, I had to slam on my brakes. Had I not slammed on my brakes, well, whoever was with me in the passenger seat, which was my brother, uh, God forbid, could have taken a lot of damage, and I, I, I could have been injured as well. And look, I'm the kind of guy, man. If you're not, if you're about to come hit me, I mean. I've come across some terrible, terrible drivers. I don't know why. Just I need to invest in a dash cam so I can upload these online. But uh, this person not only ran a red light, was going 45 to 50 miles an hour, almost came close to hitting me. They ended up passing. I, I mean, I had to slam on my brakes. The person was on their phones, all right? Put the damn phone down. Focus on the road. I swear to God, when uh, when Pokemon Go came out, which, by the way, I, I, I liked it because... I was a huge fan of the show and the games as a kid. So I thought the app was really cool. But here's what ruined it for me. The amount of people who were just doing it while driving. And they just ruined their personal lives because of it. People quit their jobs for that game. And let me tell you, I have never come close to actually getting run over while trying to cross the street. The weekend Pokemon Go came out, I came close to getting run over three times. 
Three times I almost got hit by a driver. Same weekend Pokemon Go came out. I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Put the phone down. Your BFF can wait. That virtual Squirtle of yours, don't worry, it's not going anywhere. That He'll wait as well. He's stuck in his little virtual Pokeball just waiting for you, alright? I hate to sound like a parent, but please, if you're one of those who... If you're, if you're on your phone and driving, please put it down. Alright, that 10-15 minute drive, your, 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 your significant other, just tell them you were driving. I get it, I was in high school too. There, there was a girl who was always wondering why I wouldn't respond right away. <laughs> it happens, I get it. That'll do it for this edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs on Facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugin, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and of course, send me a snap, Farzine V, and I will personally send you a video response on Snapchat. Uh, please interact with me during the week. Let me know if I'm wrong, I'm right, if you agree, disagree, wh- what are your takes. And, of course, I'd love to interact with you guys during the games this weekend. Uh, I'll have uh, discussions up on Facebook and Twitter. Look forward to talking to you guys this weekend. Enjoy the first weekend of NFL games. Sundays are back. Enjoy it.